When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Beneath the Frozen Sea podcast. My name is Sean Mallon, and I'm joined by... You are joined by Sky On Air, as usual. Sean, how are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm good. I didn't love the result yesterday. Um, when I didn't love some of the results last week. But I think I am coming to terms with what the team is this year. And uh, while it may not be what we were hoping for, I don't think it's so unrealistic for a third-year team. It's not unrealistic, but um, uh, yeah, it's been causing me, who has to sit there and has to, you know, craft a narrative off of what happened during the game, quite a lot of trouble. Um, for those of you who uh, have been sort of taking this at a more casual rate. The Kraken have not been ideal over the last couple of weeks. Um, They have had some very good performances and some baffling losses. Uh, The most baffling to me anyway, uh, this all starts at the beginning of the month um, on on the fourth with that Calgary loss. And it just over the last week and into this week, they have been significantly struggling to put anything even slightly looking like momentum together. They'll have uh, a win here, a win there, a bad loss, an overtime loss. And it's just piling up in a way that makes me think that uh, this is going to be a team that struggles mightily to keep the position that they're currently in. And the big reason that they keep running into this problem is because of blown leads. Um, this became a big problem uh, during the uh, Edmonton game. Uh, it followed uh, during the most recent game against the Flames, where they had a great second period. Jordan Eberle scores. Uh, Jared McCann scores right after that. And then all they have to do is uh, they just have to keep doing what they were doing. Uh, through the second period, something that we harped on them for is bad second periods, and they had a phenomenal second period. They had a phenomenal second period. They had 17 shots on goal, right? 
Five minutes passed, they're out, they have no shots on goal. Ten minutes passed, they have a one or two half-decent shots. Um, by the 1340 mark, where Yanni Gord cross-checks Nick DeSimone, um, they have three shots on net. The, the Calgary Flames have 16, and they score it, and they go into overtime. They only get one shot off, and they win that game. So, Sean, leads are no lead is safe in Seattle right now, and I want to understand what's going on here. I've harped on this over and over again. Um, you check the heat maps on our recaps at DavyJonesLockerRoom.com. Uh, the team's net front defense doesn't exist. It just doesn't. And these are players that can do this. They can, they do have the, the situational awareness to understand what they're supposed to be doing and they're just not doing it. So is this just execution? Is this them in their own heads? What's going on here? Well, the way you describe it, I mean, it could just be, you know, you can always just say it's a bad game on this player or that player, but you're right. Not only do we know that these players can do it, the defensive core in particular, they did it last year. So is there something in the way that Dave Haxall is coaching the team? Is he telling them to sort of turn down the offensive notch and, and try to prevent goals, which it obviously isn't working. But when you talk about the low number of shots – once you have a lead, that's what it sounds like to me. And really good. I mean, we always think about New Jersey in the 90s, how they would just get a one or two goal lead and the game would be over and boring. This team I've never felt was capable of that. Last year they had the five on five scoring. And so while their special teams were, you know, at worst maybe than they are this year, they when the game was even. The depth was coming through. They were scoring goals and they were winning games. And it happened. It started happening early in the year, and it just kept on happening. And other than, I mean, the biggest departure was probably Daniel Sprong. Just twenty goals. It's a lot to replace that, but it doesn't seem like a massive change to the the nucleus of the team. So I I'm surprised by the results. I didn't expect this big a step backwards, and I wonder what they're going to do about it. I mean. I completely agree with you. Um, the decision, the changes that they made on their face to begin the season were not big ones. And the general nucleus of what this team is, is still intact. Um, they are hurt. I'll give them credit for at the very least trying to suffer through uh, a number of players being out. Like Andre Burakovsky has been out for a long time. Uh, they just lost Philip Grubauer to something uh there was some incidental contact during the first period of the calgary game where it's kind of up in the air what exactly happened but long story short he's out and it looks like joey decord is going to be taking the majority of starts for the time being um but the thing that's getting to me is this we know that this roster can do better and they're just not like they, it seems like they have only enough gas in the tank to play about 45 minutes of hockey. And then after that, they just look completely out of sorts. And even when they are on game, uh, there seems to be a step backwards everywhere. The passing isn't nearly as crisp. The, 
uh, skating movement feels a lot slower than it is. Um, the shooting is kind of back to where it was in the inaugural season, where it's all on the perimeter around the net rather than trying to get into the center of the, uh, the ice. And as a result, it just feels like, just feels like something's missing. It feels like something's broken in the way that they do things. And I wonder where this starts with, do you like, do you get more finished? Do you just get someone who can score more? Or do you think that there's a more, uh, let's call it drastic measure that could be taken? Well, I think you have to make a determination pretty early on in the season as a GM is this the team that's going to make a playoff drive? And I mean, you're only one team wins a cup every year, right? And so you're, you may be wrong if you say that this can be a Stanley Cup winning team. But if you're going to add pieces that those scoring pieces that you're talking about, they're always rentals. That's always an overpayment. You don't want to add them if you're going to fizzle out in the first round anyways, which, you know, barring a significant turnaround, that's how I feel this team would do, especially if they end up playing Las Vegas. Ooh, yeah, that's but, uh, but that's there's not a short series. <laughs> uh, I don't think they do that much better against the Kings. Uh, you know, they beat Vancouver, but but uh, body of work this year, I think that Vancouver would come out in a seven game series as it stands. So, unless there is a team altering move, whether it's people from the minors coming up and making an impact, whether it's a, a big name out and a big name in or mortgaging some future, that's a decision that I think you have to make in the next month as a GM, even if you don't make the trades until February, you have to know what you're going to do. Um, I'm, I'm not there. I don't think that I would add at this point because I, I can't help but feel like the teams that are around and behind have the ability to leap forward. The Oilers certainly, I mean, lots of people pick them for the cup. The Flames have talent. They're they're not a great team, but I mean we've seen they're as good as the Kraken. They're individually talented, and that's sometimes enough. I think yeah. is the best way to look at them. And then you've and, got Anaheim, and you've got Vancouver, and like there are teams that are there are teams that are in a better place in terms of personnel. There are teams that are doing better, and there's a lot of those in our division. You're right, and. Uh, I, I really, the thing that I just need from them, if you're going to make a determination on what happens next is you've got a pretty, I'm not going to call it a cupcakey schedule, but you have a couple of cupcakes upcoming. Uh, most recently uh, tonight, when this game, when this uh, show is posted, you're going to be playing the San Jose sharks, the San Jose sharks. We talked about it last time are, one of the worst teams in the NHL, perhaps ever. And so this is kind of a gimme. But even gimmies at this point in the NHL's history are not guarantees. So I want to see 60 minutes out of that. I want to see 60 minutes out of uh, playing the Blackhawks next week. And uh, I just don't know right now with the way that this team approaches its game preparation that they can get there. And I'm it's frustrating because there are players through the first, however they want to divvy up the 45 minutes where they're good, where they can look unbeatable, where they could just completely take over a game in very short amount of time. 
but then they run out of gas. And so it's just been an absolutely frustrating experience. I can only imagine what the average fan is going through just watching the games live. Like, what do you say to some of the games that they've had? Like, both Edmonton games have featured a hat trick, like, against. And how do you even prepare for that? Where do you even prepare for that? Uh, Where does, where, how do you, fix your defense in such a way where you can make the thought process of, okay, maybe we have a chance. Let's go for it. Or could we at least see a complete effort from this team that gives the impression that, you know, they could try, you know, it's just been the, the central theme is frustration. And I think more than one Kraken fan is going through it right now. I'm sure there's some frustration and they built so much, like hope and anticipation last year by blowing us all out of the water. And now they've, they've put the level. It's not so high, they, you know, they only won around, but it's uh, I think if you can't fix the defense instantly, you could help them a lot with some special teams adjustments. The, the game they lost against the others, they were winning. They had five power play opportunities. They scored on zero of them. Any one of those puts it out of reach, right? It doesn't matter if Evander Kane gets two goals in the third. He's not getting the overtime goal because the Kraken are going home with a win. That's that's true. Um, that is one, another thing I wanted to talk about is uh, the special teams have been up and down precipitously. Um, it seems like between weeks, they either have a power play that is right up here right a absolute world beater right up there with some of the best in the league and then a penalty kill that is uh probably down to where like the minnesota wild are where their pk is just atrocious this year and then the next week it'll flip like do you is is this the result of regression or are we just looking at a system that it needs rapid adjustment because this is it feels like they're trying to plug a bunch of holes in one boat that is rapidly taking on water. I, I think it's better than last year though, right? What you're talking mm-hmm. about, the ups and the downs last year was all downs, especially for the power play. Yeah. So maybe they're in the midst of making those changes and it's a long process with your travel. I remember seeing stats about how much time you can actually spend on a specific portion of the game when you factor in your travels and your game days and, you know, to and from the arena and the classroom portion of practice, and then you get down to individual drills. And how long is your, let's say, your second power play is even a better example is how long are they actually on the ice practicing the power play? It's it's not going to be a massive amount in a small, like in a week or a two week sample. And so, putting a better system into place isn't going to happen instantly. I'm not saying that they're there, that's for sure. Um, but it hasn't been as hopeless as it as it was last year. It's a, it was amazing to me that they did as well as they did with one of the worst power plays in the league because that's almost unheard of. Yeah. Um, it feels like the team last year put all of its uh, all of its effort into that five on five. And so it did result in games where sometimes they got absolutely 
absolutely pants because they couldn't do anything uh, either with the man advantage or the disadvantage. But right now, the and it feels kind of the same way where uh, sometimes there's a lot of mercurialness to it, but I think losing that five-on-five five guarantee, like knowing that they are going to probably be the better team at even strength, knowing that they are going to absolutely pepper the other uh, team's goaltender with shots and then have a second guy come up for the se- for the uh, first chance opportunity. And then the next uh, opportunity after that is extremely frustrating. and Or at the very least, it's extremely frustrating because uh, they don't have that through the entire game where they used to. And so I'm just, it's just, driving me up a wall uh the discipline has also been kind of up and down as well where i i think it was otherwise ignorable when you had this buffer of even strength play now that that's gone that cannot be the case the discipline for this team has been very 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 i i would say suspect i would say it's extremely suspect especially given how many times you put the other team on the power play um, how many times uh, you are forced to take a penalty because either someone is not looking where they're supposed to be or puck watching and having to react in the moment. Um, the general theme is like, it, it feels like a- any one problem will spiral into another because they no longer have that five on five uh, built. And so I don't know really where you start from there, uh, especially considering that you now have to make a pretty concerted effort going into the next couple weeks to uh, really establish yourself. Because unlike a lot of these teams where uh, they had a couple of days off or they had an early uh, uh, off week, the Kraken have played the most games out of anybody this year. Uh, They have played 20 games. Uh, normally around this time, we would be saying, you know, the American Thanksgiving is the cutoff date for what your trends are going to be. Uh, and for almost every other team, I think the answer is probably by Black Friday or just after is uh, the time to really start saying this is who you are. And I'm not sure that's true for the Kraken right now because. They've just been, they just keep playing games without really much interruption. And because of that, they need to start getting this stuff down. Otherwise, uh, this is just going to be a frustrating season. It's already been a frustrating season. It's just going to continue being frustrating. Yeah, Um, and I think it will be. I think, unfortunately, you know, it is American Thanksgiving coming up. It is Black Friday this week. It is. They are the team that you see. They are going to be right on the bubble of in or out in a wild card spot. Barring major changes, this is the Kraken this year. And if you're not going to be in the playoffs, this is always the decision. If you're not going to be in the playoffs with a chance to win it all, how far do you go in the other direction? I mean, there's no Connor Bedard to be had this year, but there's always better players in the top three or five in the draft. So do you? Do you send some talent out, Some probably some people who have been cracking since day one who are either coming to the end of their contract or come to the end of their careers? It's never easy decisions to make. Um, but 
it has to be a consideration if this truly is who the Kraken are. Yeah, well, it is a sobering thought, but um, there are good things. Um, there, in the forty-five minutes or so that they do play uh, good hockey, there are players who do generally play very well. Um, one player I want to give some flowers to is uh, over the course of the last few games, um, there has been one player throughout who has been one of the most dangerous Kraken on the ice most of the time, uh, and it's Jaden Schwartz. He currently leads the team in goal scoring. He's been going back and forth between uh, a number of players for being uh, the most dangerous on the ice. Uh, also, Jared McCann fits in that category. But it's been Schwartz who has been really putting his best effort forward to try and get uh, goals going. And I also want to give uh, Ollie Bjorkstrand, who has just been on fire, on fire trying to create offense for a team that struggles on offense. And I'm curious as to who you think uh, deserves flowers after you know, the very up and down November. I feel like every time I get asked this question, I say Vince Dunn, but he's just, he's so good. If they had two Vince Dunn's, they'd be in the top half of the Pacific. No question. Uh, he's got 18 points. Um, I believe he leads the team in penalties as well. So he's, you know, when you talk about the discipline thing, maybe he got a little bit uh, spoiled last year when, when it didn't matter as much. Um, but a player like that on your back end simplifies things for everybody else, simplifies things for the goalies. Um, and he's fun to, fun to watch. I like a, I like a defenseman who can add some offense there. You know, you make some allowances for chances in the other direction when you, when you have that, but any, championship team that you look at has a, a guy on the back end who can score hard to uh hard to disagree with that um there's also another player that i want to give a little extra credit to um he's still having games where he doesn't look like the player he was last year but now he's been scoring more often he is contributing to the score sheet more is maddie veneers um he is I need to keep repeating this. He still is going through a slump and that's not good, but he's getting out of it slowly. And if you can get to say the winter classic where he's starting to look like the Matty veneers of old, I think that that's looking better for the, for the team overall. Yeah. Veneers is, you know, he's still, he still he never looks nervous to me. He always looks like he's comfortable, even even when he was slumping at the start of the season. The thing about Beniers and the thing that I didn't see in Shane Wright when he was up last year or in the short term this year, Beniers just looks like he belongs. And that's a we're lucky to have him. He's the reason he won the Calder, right? Mm-hmm. It would just be uh nice if he could. Uh, sort of continue that performance, although uh, just about every Kraken right now is going through a little bit of a slump like it. Um, there's also another player I want to give some credit to because uh, he had to come fill in for Philip Grubauer and 
honestly, I think he did a pretty good job uh, was Joey Decord, who has been very, very good and has put the, has kept this team through some uh, very, very gruesome games. And uh, I think he would be, I think he's slowly finding a rhythm into becoming a, maybe a full-time starter as an NHL or, I mean, uh, we don't really know what Grubauer's uh, injury is going to look like long term, so who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe this could be an audition for him uh, receiving the starting job sometime in the future. Well, the play I've seen from Decord in the last week or two, I'd have to agree he he may be the best goaltender on the roster today. Um, Grubauer, ever since he arrived, and you know, even even in Colorado, he was. Fits and starts. Sometimes he would be great, sometimes not so great. And we certainly have seen that in Seattle. Um, and Decord is not perfect yet, but uh, some of the saves he makes, you're like, yeah, this this guy has what it takes. Indeed, indeed. But uh, you mentioned the name who uh, is quite important to this team's overall success, at the very least in the long term. And uh, that is Shane Wright. Uh, Shane Wright and uh, Ryan Winterton were up for a very short amount of time. Uh, they uh, Wright got his first look at NHL action on the ninth against Colorado. And then uh, he played the Edmonton game and then the second Colorado game. And after that, uh, he and Winterton were sent down. Uh, they did not pick up any points during that time. And uh, I just want to know uh, where your thought process is with uh Shane Wright and uh whatever you thought of Ryan Winterton if you had any thoughts at all I think you know you want to ease people into the NHL I would have given Wright a longer look for sure I said I've said that before on the podcast I think that the way to give a offensive talent real NHL like experience and, and a shot at staying up is just dump them with the best players and they're going to make mistakes, but the best players can absorb those mistakes. They're going to get points, and points build confidence. And the Kraken are taking a more cat or a more uh, careful approach. And I'm not an NHL coach, right? So, so maybe there's this is the best one, um, mm -hmm. right? In the with Coachella, in the AHL is he's doing all right. You know, he's got six goals in ten games. He's just under a point a game. I for for me a blue chip prospect should be above a point per game in terms of uh, AHL performance, but he's not disappearing. He's not vanishing into the night and just waiting, like, pouting, waiting for his next opportunity to come up. So that's good. Uh, Winterton, I did not get much of a look at when he was here, so I'd like to hear your thoughts. I thought he was okay. I think um, I think he's definitely large and. Uh, NHL coaches like that. Um, he definitely still looks like a rookie to me, but I think there's something that you can work with, uh, but he's going to have to have a fuller season with the Firebirds for me to form a, a, a deeper opinion on. Um, otherwise, he was there. He didn't really contribute as much as he could have, and that's a little disappointing, but it's like you said, he probably should have played with uh, more... Uh, established talent see if he could get him uh see if you could get him mentored in such a way to create uh opportunities 
And as a result, uh, I didn't really have an, much of an opinion other than he showed up because neither of them really received too many minutes. And that I feel like is becoming a little bit of a concern that I have with their young players. Um, Ty Cartier has had his minutes dramatically slashed uh, throughout the last couple of games. Um, and Shane Wright throughout his time only barely started to receive more and more minutes as time went on. Um, and I, I'm starting to feel like Haxtell needs to start to trust these kids because they're going to be in the NHL at some point, And that's all he's going to have. So and if I it's feel a lost season. Sorry. If it's a lost season, and I, you know, I'm so close. I think that there's still hope, but, but like I said, you got to make the call. If it's a lost season, that's what you need to do, right? Get these guys mm -hmm. in the lineup, get them the, the minutes and the games that they need. Uh, I think it was Craig Button who said that you need 300 games before you really know what you have with an NHL defenseman. Well, that's, mm -hmm. that's nearly five seasons, right? That's a, that's a far ways out for somebody like Winterton. Yeah. Well, and the reason that we bring this up is because uh, Wright and Winterton, you know, starting kind of kind of going through a bit of a slow start is kind of cutting into the fact that a lot of people are really excited about the Kraken's prospect pool. It's just down deeper into like the junior level where um, a couple of players have really established themselves as world beaters. Um, I, when I wrote the WHL update, uh, every time I've looked at it, um, Jagger Fergus playing with the Moose Jaw Warriors has been just lighting that entire league on fire. Um, he's got 43 points in 21 games. Um, he is by far the best player on the Warriors. And then over in the OHL on the Kitchener Rangers, um, they've got Carson Rakoff, who pretty much every uh, prospect prognosticator has looked at and said that was such a good pick because he has just been a, a, a such a dynamo for them. You know, 44 points in 22 games is that's pretty good, you know, even if it is uh, at the junior level. And I, I just want to get your thoughts on what you think that uh, is this just sort of the the prognostication becoming uh, unwarranted hype, or do you think that this uh, portends good things uh, once these guys start to hit the AHL and NHL? Oh, no, it definitely is a good sign. I like to use the NHL equivalency calculator. And okay. so for Fergus, well, their points totals and games played are similar, so this probably works for both of them. But it's a uh, what you're seeing in, in 22 games is not a full season quite yet, but uh, if you extrapolate that, you're looking at about a 50-point NHL season, which, you know, as a rookie, that's going to, I can tell you precisely, well, I think it was 53 that uh, Veneers got last year, so that would be a pretty good rookie season if if Furkus could do that in the NHL. Yeah, yeah, I would absolutely love that, but uh, as of right now, I think I'm happy with him just sort of uh, taking contr full control of the WHL for the uh, year as it comes. Uh, and I guess the big question is if, what does Shane Wright have to do to get back into the good graces of, uh, of the fan base? Cause it feels, it feels like everyone's starting to sort of turn their head towards a more distant future than he's part of. 
And I'm just a little, uh, I'm just a little concerned that it feels like uh, maybe he could get lost in the shuffle, which is strange because he was such a dramatic part of uh, his draft year. And for the record, it's not like the guy that they passed over. You're us. You're us. It's a very difficult name to say off the top of your head. Yuroslavkovsky has also been going through these struggles, like really bad in Montreal. And Montreal's uh, microscope is out for him. Yes. So, like, do, should we just be continue to be patient with Wright, or uh, do you think that this is a? Are we starting to get into a point where we may have to start thinking about, say, uh, Jagger Furcus or? Uh, Carson Raykop or any number of other prospects as the uh, the real next ones. I think Shane Wright will be fine. He will be an NHL player. Is okay. he going to be uh, top scoring a top line player? That remains to be seen. But from what I've seen of Wright, he he does well when the spotlight isn't on him. So Beniers helped take it off him in his rookie year. If Fergus is blowing things out of the water and that's where people are looking, I think that benefits Wright because I think that Wright, he played with Connor Bedard in the World Juniors and he got a really important goal in the gold medal game. But the World Juniors was not about him and I think that helped him to kind of settle in and do what he does. He's not super flashy, He's he just but he produces, right? He's doing that in the AHL and he will eventually do that for the NHL squad. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, we will take a look here at the upcoming schedule for the Kraken and, of course, their standings update. Um, as of right now, in spite of everything we've said, in spite of all the uh, discussions that we have get, uh, put towards uh, what the future looks like, what uh, all the uh, tea leaves have shown us and what their play has shown us, they are very technically in a playoff spot. Uh, they currently have 19 points. That's good for uh, the second wild card spot. Uh, they are currently tied with the St. Louis Blues, but I cannot overstate this. This is a very packed uh, wild card race in the West because you've got St. Louis, obviously, the Kraken, and then it's Ducks, Coyotes, and Flames all within two points of the Kraken and mercifully they didn't have a game to play tonight. So in fact, no team had a game to play tonight for some reason, get schedule makers what's going on there. Um, and I guess the question is, are they just going to have to fight for their life the entire season now? Is that where they're at? Cause uh, the top three of the division seem pretty unassailable right now it looks like it's just going to be the canucks the knights and the kings until april i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here is in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, I mean, the the Knights still have a sizable lead, right? They're still nine points up on on the first wild card team. They're, the Knights are going to make the playoffs. That's not really a question. They won the Stanley Cup, and they're going to be a, a contender again this year. Um, I think that the the Pacific is going to be a dogfight, and I think it's going to be a dogfight because people will just keep failing upward. The that we you know, we talked about the Oilers. Calgary is losing games they shouldn't. Um, Anaheim perhaps improved, but they've managed well. They've managed nine wins. They've managed exactly zero. Uh, overtime points at all, right? All of their losses are in regulation. Uh, I think that the Kraken are going to fall out of the playoffs because their their cushion of games played and the associated points is going to catch up with them and and others will will push them down the standings. I wouldn't surprise me to very quickly find them close to the bottom. But I think that they're better than the worst teams. You know, I think that they have the ability to beat Calgary. They have the ability to beat, if you think about the other wildcard teams, that Nashville and Minnesota. When I looked at this month's schedule, I thought they could win 10 games, but I had them beating Calgary twice. I had them certainly beating San Jose tomorrow, and I had them with a split with Edmonton and a split with Colorado, and they managed the, the, the second, but not the first. Yeah, well, that is sort of the... Uh the rub is that you actually do have to win the uh, gimmies that you're given. And frankly, I don't think that I think that they are better than the flames. I think definitely think that they are a more United team than the flames are. Um, but they've just not been able to put it together. And that's sort of the problem is that, yeah, they've got this uh, huge games played lead, but you know, they have been losing their gimmies and losing their gimmies badly. Like both of these call, both of the Colorado games were kind of up in the air. They absolutely got pantsed the uh, in the second Colorado game. The Arizona Coyotes, generally speaking, are better than they look, but are also extremely streaky and they don't and they play a lot of close games. They absolutely could have won that game. You absolutely could have won the uh, the second Oilers game. And Again, I keep coming back to those Flames games where unacceptable efforts doomed them. Now, upcoming, um, you've got a couple of cupcakes, like I said. You play San Jose, they're the worst team in the league this year, and then you follow that up with Vancouver. You beat Vancouver once, but uh, Vancouver isn't giving up many wins, and when they lose, it does look like an accident. And then you play. Connor Bedard and the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks generally aren't very good, but Connor Bedard is a world beater. And then you got to play at 4 p.m. PST, the Leafs. And 
no matter what the Leafs do, they're always reasonably okay. So I don't know what you take from the last week or two of November other than you better win the games you can, right? Yeah, I think you wipe it away. You wipe all those the lost leads away. You wipe all the gimmies that you didn't take, and you just go into San Jose tomorrow and you say, this is ours. Take the two points. You, you put up a touchdown on them. And same thing in same thing in Chicago. Um, you're you're not out of it. And I mean, even you look at the teams at the top of the standings, like, like Boston is only 10 points ahead. A five game slide in 60 games is reasonable. Now they're, they're, this team is not winning the president's trophy. But what I'm saying is that everyone is in reach right now. And all you need to do is win the games in front of you. The, the stuff behind doesn't matter. Uh, no disagreement there. Um, as also we come into uh, December, first couple of weeks of December anyway, uh, it does actually lighten up a little bit. There are, obviously there is this uh, Eastern Conference road trip that they go on uh, coming from uh, Chicago and into uh, Eastern Canada. And then they start playing a bunch of Eastern Conference teams before they start to settle into playing uh, the Hawks and the Kings and the Ducks over and over again. Um, I guess the question is, once we get into December, and there are some pretty beatable teams on this list, um, there are a couple of uh, stumbling blocks, I think, but there are beatable teams. What needs to happen, uh, starting with this, starting with the San Jose game tonight and going into December that this team needs to continue to succeed. What is one thing? Well, if you have to pick one, I'm going to go with just a consistent special teams wins, whether it's a penalty kill or the power play, you know, ideally both. You get them combined over that 100% mark, so you're you're winning more battles there than you're losing, and it bumps up and replaces that five-on-five five scoring that we're not seeing. And then the rest of it hopefully falls in line. You don't need to beat everyone. You need to beat enough teams that you get that wild card spot if you're looking for postseason. You know, mm-hmm. we, we talked about it. I don't believe that this is a, a cup contender this year. Um but that doesn't mean that you have to give up if you think you can make a run. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that this is, I completely agree with you in that. Uh, I think they're definitely better than the worst than all the other teams uh, behind them in the Western conference right now. It's just, it's again, you gotta get these gimmies where you can. Um, let's take a quick look around the, uh, the NHL. Obviously a lot of people are, uh, putting some, well, I'm not, I'm not going to call it. What's the opposite of of respect? Just slander, nothing but slander on Edmonton, who have we were told was getting its act together, um, and then has just continued to sort of tumble out of uh, the reach of playoff contention. But I guess the the big thing that I want to talk about that's just a cute little uh, human interest story for the league is that uh, the Winter Classic is coming up and uh, the Seattle Kraken and uh, Vegas Golden Knights chose to leak their jerseys in the most 
um, absurd way possible, right? So here's what they did. Uh, out of nowhere, in a random Utah Jazz game, uh, I'm not even sure they won that game, um, two players on the Jazz showed up in a Seattle Kraken jersey we had never seen before. Um, there had been rumor on uh, Chris Creamer's sportslogos.net that uh, these would the that this logo that they would use uh, that sort of looks like a Seattle Metropolitan's uh, logo would be would feature, and it basically confirmed it all. It's uh, it looks very much like the Seattle Metropolitan's jersey. If uh, you don't know what that looks like, it's sort of a barber pole design where it alternates between green, red, and white over and over again. Um, this one uses the Kraken colors. Obviously, it looks, at least in my opinion, very sharp. Um, I think they did a wonderful job with it. My confusion is that that was where we learned about that one. And then the night after that, we saw the Vegas uh, jersey on a professional wrestling pay-per-view. In the in the pre-show, they had uh, Rene Paquette of uh, All Elite Wrestling uh, wearing the Vegas Golden Knights sweater, which looks uh, kind of practice jersey, at least in my opinion. Um, apparently, uh, it takes a lot of inspiration from uh, the uh, the West Point uniform, uh, the uh, dress uniform of the uh, military academy, which I mean, cool, but it, I don't think it translates very well. Um, did you see these jerseys, and uh, what did you think of? A, the jerseys themselves, and B, how they managed to uh, put them up. Because this is wild. wild. The league does not do this. Yeah, maybe they got, maybe they hired somebody new. Uh, I really <laughs> like the Kraken one. I think that, the, you know, the Metropolitan's look is a... It's well-known in Seattle, for sure, and it's a pretty classic look. The, the Kraken colors are great. I like the more forward red with the logo. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't get the Golden Knights one. Like it looks kind of like old timey Vegasy. I can kind of see that, but I don't think that it looks amazing. Yeah, it it just doesn't really inspire a whole lot. And I think part of the 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 thing that I've often I think they often struggle with when it comes to their designs is that uh, most of Vegas's hockey history kind of starts with the first outdoor game that they played back in the nineties. You know, back when Wayne Gretzky was out there and they basically uh, had a game out in the desert as a bet to prove that they could do that. And, uh, you know, every uh, Vegas team ever since has been, you know, super minor league. All the jerseys don't really look very professional looking. And if you're going to take from the military, like the West Point uh, uniform is nice for what it is, but it's like, it's kind of overly formal. So it's, I don't know. I feel like the Kraken absolutely lapped them. But um, <laughs> I, I just I struggle to wrap my head around the fact that uh, neither team has acknowledged that uh, this was on a prof- they, both of these jerseys were on a professional wrestling pay-per-view and a and at a random jazz game. Um, I do know that we have quite a few uh, listeners in Utah. I do know that we have a a pretty strong uh, Kraken fan base. Um, There was also some clear intention behind that because uh, at the same time that uh, that happened, roughly the same time, 
Bowie posted a uh, something on his Twitter.com. I'm not calling it X um, that showed him and the Utah Jazz mascot kind of palling around and doing stuff. So I'm wondering if do you think that the I, I'm wondering if maybe uh, this is a different uh, team that is running this promotion. And do you think that this is uh, the sign of hopefully uh, the NHL trying to get its act together when it comes to marketing? I would say it's more likely that Vegas and or Seattle marketing people who influence this. We know that Vegas has been over the top with what they do in their in-game stuff and and certainly they've been going for it in terms of you know the way that they've built and managed the team. And I think that the Kraken have been smart with with all of their marketing up until this point. So I think that's more likely. I would love to think that the NHL is finally looking forward and, and you know making these obscure partnerships. Not that the NBA is obscure, but mm-hmm. for them to to cross promote with another major sports league is it's what all the major sports leagues should do: a rising tide lifting all the boats, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but everything I know about the NHL tells me that no, this isn't the NHL finally figuring it out. Okay, so yeah, this is probably a. Uh, I think this is definitely a major uh, win for whomever starts started this idea, and they've just been running it through. And I think that this kind of turns every sporting event, every uh, every major discussion point uh, in the entertainment world into hey, now it's time to look for the Kraken or the uh, Vegas jersey, because now that's what they're going to be doing. Okay which I think is smart. I think it's I'd smart to that. sort of, I'd, if it keeps on happening, that would be amazing. Yeah. Like I feel like that's a great way to engage fans is to just turn everything into a game of hidden Mickey. Like so Taylor Swift at the chiefs game. Yeah. Perfect. Jersey. Yes. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh my God. We'd have an absolute explosion of listeners. Uh, uh, yeah, actually now that I say that, uh, miss Swift, if you could, uh, <laughs> Otherwise, um, there's a couple of things that have been sort of bouncing around in the ether. Um, there was sort of a, uh, sounds like some sort of domestic incident with a uh, Milan Lucic in Boston. He entered, uh, a, he entered the, um, the, uh, substance abuse, pol- uh, support group for the NHL after an event in Boston. Doesn't, uh, I won't, uh, talk about the gruesome, gruesome details. The details don't sound good. It looks like this was a pretty, um, a uh, pretty rough event, uh, involving alcohol. Um, uh, and I guess the, uh, and you know, this is a, this is a player who means an awful lot to that, uh, neck of the, neck of the woods. And so I'm just wondering, like, you know, it's been two years in a row that the Boston Bruins have had some kind of extra legal thing hanging over a player. And I'm wondering if maybe they need to start considering a uh, a more a more difficult vetting for their uh, not just their players but for their scouts because it seems like these guys seem to sort of slip through the cracks of what that team is otherwise willing to do because you know that team is otherwise doing great and they had this happen again and it's just it's deeply confusing to me. I didn't understand the signing in the first place. Um, I, I don't have a lot of faith that 
major sports teams are going to make a good decision based on the type of person someone is, if they're capable of playing a sport. I would argue in Lucic's case, he is not really capable of playing the sport any longer. So I didn't understand the signing from that point of view. I don't, yeah, I don't know that you're ever going to get to a place where NHL teams say, well, not all. I think that some management groups are going to be better. And I do think we're, we're lucky to have a good management group in Seattle that, that makes the right decisions. You think about the, the pride tape and such. Um, but yeah, I think that there are going to be groups that just simply look and say, is this a good player? And forget about the rest of it. We'll deal with the media fallout and people will forgive us if we win a championship. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that that might be true. Um, I did write about uh, the last thing that they um, that they did regarding uh, uh, the signing of Mitchell Miller. And I think a fundamental uh, point of cont- contention is that whenever these teams kind of do this kind of thing, it's because they think they can get away with it. Um, they were proven wrong pretty quickly. Um, but I really hope that this, um, that this starts to spur the organization towards uh, maybe making some uh, better choices with their time. Um, so uh, in a hard right turn towards something positive, um, the NHL was in Sweden this week um, and it looked like pretty much every game was a lot of fun. Uh, maybe not if you're a Red Wings fan, where I think they got uh, come from behind it twice in two days. Like it looked like it was a very rough couple of days. The big thing coming out of it is um, a couple of uh, Swedish players had a had some exceptional games. Like William Nylander had a great time in front of his uh, his home crowd, and uh, Tim Stutzla getting an absolutely awesome goal to beat the Red Wings, where he basically bats it out of the air just at uh, just at crossbar height and manages to get uh, James Reimer to duck for it and gets the overtime winner. Uh, the big discussion point, unfortunately, about all this is that every one of those games was on the NHL network. And the NHL network is on premium cable. It's deep in the package somewhere, no matter where it is. And... Everyone pretty much came out of this going, this is all amazing stuff. Um, I just wish that it could have been on any other channel. And so, um, you know, we've had we've had this issue with uh, Kraken games sometimes going behind streaming services only or having trouble with uh, regional blackouts and such. And I just want to uh, get your opinion on, you know, throwing games like this or throwing games that could be potentially really interesting behind a blackout of some kind. Uh, do you, do you think this is something that needs to go the way to the Dodo or is there still something to this that could be salvaged? Cause frankly, I see no point in continuing it. There's no point for the, for the fans. Absolutely. Regional blackouts don't make any sense. The, the idea as I understand it is that they want to, make people go to the game and gate driven league and everything, but people go to the games. I mean, if you're not in Arizona, when, you know, we can't name a couple other empty stadiums, but for the most part, like here in Edmonton, the, the arena's full. So there's no need for a regional blackout and mm-hmm. there's always going to be, you know, licensing TV rights deals and, and whatever else the reasons behind it doesn't make it any easier for you and me who just want to watch our favorite teams play 
And yeah, it seems like there should be a simple, available to everyone way of showing the the games on TV. And that's got to be there's got to be a way to monetize that. Frankly, if you're like everyone can see it, well, then here's here's ads for each of the regions. Like it seems straightforward, but like I say, it's not it's not the fans' interest that's tying it up. It's the the either the teams or the local regional interests. Yeah, um, I think that personally. Um, having to deal with regional uh, concerns such as uh, Nesson and the Bally uh, Sports Networks and all that, um, I think that's a time that that's from a time before streaming, be- uh, before the internet was considered a uh, major threat to television. And I just feel like, especially in a league like this that has struggled so much with its marketing. Um, you got to figure out a way to get people to enjoy it because, you know, you brought up the Arizona Coyotes, right? Very small arena, not always selling out every game. Um, Their television um, ratings shot through the roof this year because they went over the air. Like if you have a, if you have a television and you have a, an antenna that you can buy for $10 at your local big box uh, electronics store, um, you can get the Arizona Coyotes game. And that did really well. Um, the Knights have their own uh, streaming service, and that apparently does extremely well. I just, I don't, I struggle so much with why we have to keep this antiquated concept going if it's just going to continue to hurt uh, regional access. Like you can still sell. Uh, to these regional sports net, uh, these regional sports networks, rather, um, you can still sell these rights to them. You just have to tell them that there's no such thing as a blackout anymore, because like that's that just hurts the league. Yeah. Well, now we're back to the NHL's marketing team making <laughs> the right decisions. Yeah. We know the likelihood there. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, also, some. Uh, d- uh, I will give a quick shout out to the uh, San Jose Sharks who did win not only one game in the time that it took us to uh, meet the meet them again. They won three. Um, I don't know if they're going to get to 10, but they're absolutely trying. Um, I guess that's I guess that does account for something. And the other thing, uh, the only last thing I wanted to talk about before we head off is um, my greatest mortal enemy in the entire world has reached its as it was once again reared its ugly acrylic plastic shaped head um the nhl wants to bring back the world cup of hockey um for those of you who do not who have only begun following me through uh the seattle kraken i at one point uh had to follow the world cup of hockey in 2016 i think it was was that true is that true was the last time they had one that sounds right. Sounds right. I seem to remember Crosby and company winning and seeming they're like, we won, but who cares? <laughs> That's exactly the point. That's exactly my point. Um, I will say that there were a couple of positive things about it, but I was someone who believed very much in if you build a team, you got to be expecting to win. And I distinctly remember the United States putting together an old team, a slow team, and a team that did not win a game. 
and finished it having a big dust up with the Czech Republic and they still lost. And so like, and I guess my big, my big point about the world cup world cup of hockey is that the NHL puts it on. They're thinking about putting it on again. They're not putting every team that should be represented out there. It doesn't look like there's going to be a team Germany. It doesn't look like there's going to be a team Slovakia. It doesn't look like there's going to be um, what have you uh, name another team. They probably aren't going to co- aren't going to go. There's not going to be a team Russia due to the political implications of it. And I, I guess my question is if we keep talking about best on best hockey, we keep talking about this as like an international thing we want this to be eyes for the game, that sort of thing. Um, is there any way for the NHL to do this right? Or because every time it comes up, I'm hitting my microphone because I just get so animated thinking about this. It, it just seems like they screw something up. It seems like it, it either looks low rent. It doesn't know. None of the players really care. The broadcasters didn't really care. The first time they tried this, um, they give out a plastic trophy. That has been my single biggest uh, concern about this stupid tournament is that they hand out a stupid plastic trophy that looks like a vase. And what does this what does this tournament have to do to make people care about it? Because it feels like the league just doesn't get it it does i don't it feels like they understand best on best as like a thing people want but they don't understand how to get it to people scott i want you to you don't need to worry anymore i have the solution oh yeah oh yeah I, i'd love to hear it. if you want a best on best okay you have it once every four years all right good start rotating city all right a bunch of other winter sports oh ooh, good you idea call it the olympics Ooh, ooh. Well, hang on. There's already a thing called the Olympics. How about we call them the Winter Olympics? Does that seem... Uh, I love it. I love it. Yes. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> like we have... I, I know for a fact that the For Hockey Fans um, Slack has this fight every, let's call it two years or so. Um, I know that um, Anaheim Collings editor is pretty upfront that he doesn't believe in the Olympics, but just... Man... This is that thing works. They know how to make that seem important. And that's for something much smaller than a giant plastic base. Mm -hmm. And people seem to care about that a lot more. And And the organization is imperfect, but they all are right. FIFA, the Olympic, the double IHF itself. Yeah. You're, you're never going to have a giant organization that doesn't have some cronyism and best efforts, but it's never going to go away. It's just the nature of people, unfortunately. But it's established. People grow up thinking about, well, imagine if I could win a gold medal at the Olympics. What The problem that, that you're pointing out with the World Cup is that it doesn't exist right now. So they could have the nicest trophy in the world. No one's heard of it. So they have to have the tournament for a generation before you have the same feeling that people have with the Olympic gold medal. And it's not going to last because today everything's driven by, you know, what have you done from lately? What are the marketing numbers? How did it perform last year? Yes, no, or we're either canceling it or, or keeping it. And you're never going to get to the the 
epic nature of the Olympics in a new tournament today. That's that's my firm belief. And I also, as a Canadian, Gary Bettman robbing us of prime Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid on the same team. They may play in the next one. It's not going to be the same. Yeah. Right? I, mean, I, I love it, and so maybe I'm biased, but... No, I mean, I freely admit, I'm a huge fan of international hockey. I will happily watch the World Juniors. I'll happily watch the World Championships. I loved watching uh, Latvia win bronze at the World Championships last year, and everyone in that country showed up for them when they got off the tarmac. Like it was just a sea of people in maroon jerseys. It was so cool to watch. And I feel like that that's the kind of thing that not just, you know, the international tournaments that the IHF hold, but the Olympics themselves create those moments so much more often than the World Cup of Hockey ever did, even when they were trying to do it uh, on a consistent schedule. Like the only time I think it was even minorly interesting was that one year where, uh, the Czechs go to Nagano and they completely whoop everybody. And then uh, I think like two or three months later, the world cup happens and the Czechs clean that up again too. And it's just, otherwise it's been, it it seems like they just keep gimmicking it up in a way that just makes it feel cheap. And again, my great nemesis, that stupid plastic trophy doesn't help. It doesn't help at all. So I don't know. It feels like if they do decide to do this, um, I'm probably just going to spend an awful lot of time in ink yelling about that stupid plastic trophy again. Uh, I do hope it comes to be that this is a better uh, tournament than uh, it's projected to be like they actually have a team Germany because they actually look kind of good now. Um, and also the team Slovakia, because that nation is about to put out some exceptional talent throughout the league. And that's coming in the next like two or three years. And it's just mind boggling that you'd leave them off. But anyway, we are out of time. We are out of discussion points. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all very much for listening to Beneath the Frozen Sea, the DavyJonesLockerRoom.com podcast. Uh, you can pick it, check us out at DavyJonesLockerRoom.com. You can also find us on the Four Hockey Fans vertical. You can see, find that at 4HockeyFans.com. Alongside Sean, my name is Sky, and we'd li- very much like to thank you for listening. And as always, go Kraken. Go Squids. Go Squids.